Welcome to a bit of a debut episode here on The Athletic. I'm Pete Sampson, uh, Notre Dame beat writer for The Athletic covering the Irish, uh, as I have for the last 22 seasons. Um, if you follow my work on our website, um, thank you for your subscription. We appreciate it. Um, I've been hosting various Notre Dame podcasts over the years, and uh, we used to do the Shamrock here with my former colleague, Matt Fortuna. He's since left the athletic. Now we're doing the independent and I think it's sort of a stand in for those of us who followed the shamrock. Uh, again, appreciate you guys. We want to do sort of a live room every Friday, kind of a, a way to preview the weekend, preview the game. Um, a little bit of both, especially if you're over here in Dublin, uh, as I'm fortunate enough to be, um, if you want to ask a question, um, this is really sort of a, a live Q and a, and, um, you can sort of hit to the queue or ask a question. Um, that's sort of the best way to interact with the show. Really what it, we'd like this to be is sort of have a, have a chance to be, um, you know, a Q&A about whatever you want to talk about, whether that be the wide receiver position or Sam Hartman or NIL or conference realignment. Um, I think this would be a fun thing to do every Friday. Um, so it, um, is an opportunity for you guys to ask questions of me and we can just sort of hang out and chat a little bit about the things you have that uh, are on your mind with, with Notre Dame football. Um, you can, I think do that by sort of hitting the stage queue button or question button. Um, but uh, that's how you can ask a question. Um, please feel free to, to chime in. I've got uh, stage queue open up on my app and you can sort of ask a question that way. If you're having trouble getting through or have a question about it, you can drop a note in the chat. I'll be sort of on top of that as well. Um, but yeah, please go ahead, fire away with your first question uh, or questions that you've got today. I will call you to the stage to ask them. It's sort of like a bit of a, a sports radio uh, app where you audibly ask the question and then I will sort of answer it and then it will be turned into a podcast form afterwards. So please, if you've got the first question, go ahead, fire it away. Even if you want to enter something in the chat and don't want to speak up that way, that's cool too. But um, we'll wait. The first question we've got is from Brian M. And I'm going to call Brian M. to the stage. Um, Brian M., I think I can hear you on the other end. Go ahead. Perfect. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm very jealous of you being out in Dublin. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious, kind of what the plan is moving forward for trips like this. Knowing that, I know you talked in your last podcast about jet lag and things like that. What's kind of the thought about how often they'll be doing trips overseas like this? Yeah, it's a good uh, a good question. I have asked Jack Swarbrick about it in the past about okay foreign foreign tours. Um, you know what what's sort of the the idea or the game plan behind that and. I, I mean, I had been told by a few sources that they were kicking around or maybe farther down the road um, on a game in Rome against Boston College at some point. Um, and that had that was, I think, probably five, six, seven years ago. It didn't come to fruition. And I mean, I th- there's a real demand for it. It's been amazing to walk around the streets of Dublin um, and see how many Notre Dame fans are here. I mean, it, it feels like it feels like a bowl game, but if everyone gave a hundred percent about it, um, opposed to like, you know, those, those minor bowl games at the end of the year where you're like, okay, am I into this? Am I not? Um, there was a real pent up demand for this game cause I canceled in 2020. 
But uh, I think that it's something that there will be demand from the players to do more regularly. And I'm not saying they need to do it every other year, but um, have an opportunity where, you know, if you're at Notre Dame for four years, that you have an opportunity to do this at least once. Um, and actually, on my way to O'Hare to fly over to Dublin, I stopped uh, in Glen Ellen to talk to Cam Williams, who's a four-star receiver. Um, just sort of a you know a little bit about his senior season, and we we're talking about um, you know the games that he gets to play in at Notre Dame, and he was looking forward to Lambeau. But I mean, he said like, "Man, I, like this game in Ireland just." sounds amazing I'd, I'd love to be able to do something like that and i think that um the feedback from players is is so good and so positive that um there's there's going to be sort of a groundswell of support to keep doing this um, i don't know if dublin would be the next one they might want to change it up a little bit but um i i would be shocked if three four years down the road like certainly by I don't know, maybe 2025, um, you know, 2026 or 2027, that there's there's another foreign game on the schedule because I, I think that the, the demand from the players is going to be high. And with the number of people from the development office that are here, um, you know, I, I think just sort of benefits for the university at large will also be uh, pretty pretty substantial. So I, I think that um, there's – it's kind of a win-win-win other than the, the travel and the fatigue for the football team. But if you're doing it in week one, I think maybe um, that can work out. All right, next question, I'm going to go to Alexander T. Uh, thanks for joining the Shamrock Live. You are on stage. Alexander, go ahead with your question. Uh, first off, Pete, thanks for doing this. Um, I hate to, to bring the conference realignment back in when we <laughs> actually have games to talk about. but uh, You can never escape it, Alexander. I know, I know. It's, it's here with us. But uh, – just curious your take on sort of the what Chip Kelly had said relative to sort of kind of carving out the revenue producing sports like basketball and football and, you know, almost purely independent or allow for those groups to cluster differently than the rest of sports. And then related on this week's news around Stanford, Cal, and I believe there was a third team, an SMU um, yep. potentially joining the ACC for uh, football and basketball and how you kind of how you reinterpret your thoughts around where this is going based on that? I mean, it's a good question. I, I feel like it doesn't change a lot for Notre Dame in the short term if Cal, Stanford, SMU join the ACC. And I think for the long term, it probably gives the ACC more stability should Florida State and Clemson bolt down the road where it's still a viable conference. Um, so that's that's a positive for Notre Dame in the sort of the micro view of, okay, what does it mean for the ACC? And the in more macro view, um, I think that you've got a situation where you want to have options available to you for your Olympic sports because you, you need a home for those. Um, and then the Chip Kelly comment, I think, is, is really interesting where he sort of viewed it as like, all right, why – a couple things. Maybe independence is best. Um, and then why is football tethered to the other sports um, from a, from a concert's point of view? And I, I think it's a, I mean, it's a great point because um, you're in a situation where football has dwarfed all the other sports combined in terms of revenue generation and interests and media rights. And there's really not a reason why, why should Rutgers have to play 
men's tennis or soccer against UCLA. It makes no sense. Against football, it's not that big of a deal because there's only 13 games with a bowl game in there. You know, and the conferences still have some geography in common with one another, but for basketball and volleyball and baseball and track and field, it just doesn't make any sense when, you know, you're playing 12, 20, 30 um, matches, games per year, and the travel demands just, they just don't make any sense. So I, I think that from a football point of view, independence makes a lot more sense. And look, if, if I'm Notre Dame, if let's just spin this forward a few steps, right? Let's say we get to a point where football disassociates from the other sports, not in a bad way, but just in a sort of a financial what's real way. If the Big Ten, let's say the Big Ten adds North Carolina and Clemson to the mix and Notre Dame can join that only in football and you're in a conference with Michigan, Ohio State, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, North Carolina, Clemson, like to me that 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 would get you to a point from an independence perspective where being sort of on your own and being independent, like, I don't know if the upside there is as great as it was today or five years ago or 10 years ago. It, um, you know, it puts you in a spot where you're associating with, with schools just in football that you want to be associated with to begin with, where um, I think, you know, the utility of independence drops down quite a bit. I sat down with Jack Swarbrick in the summer and I asked him, like, all right, it wasn't a question. It was more like just confirm my suspicion that joining the Big Ten today means something entirely different than it would have 10 years ago, where the West Coast of the Big Ten is Los Angeles. Now it's also Seattle. And the East Coast of the Big Ten is New York City via Rutgers and Washington, D.C. via Maryland. And he's like, you know, I, I accept your point as valid. You know, we've been able to get out to both coasts with, with being independent. but joining the Big Ten today means something entirely different than it would have 10 years ago. And that's, that's I think, a reality for Notre Dame. Like, you just got to, like, look at that and say, okay, is this, is this something where being independent suddenly becomes a negative? I don't, I don't really know the answer to that, but um, I was doing a sort of an event with Notre Dame fans over here in Dublin today, and somebody asked, like, set the over-under of Notre Dame joining a conference at four or five, four and a half years. And I said, oh, absolutely over, like, no, I didn't give it a second thought. But if I set, if you set that over under 10 and a half years, then I might, you know, take a pause and say like, all right, well, I could see a world where joining a conference outside of this decade makes sense for Notre Dame based on where college athletics is going. So that's, that's sort of how I see that. Um, a reminder to the hundred people who have hopped on the Shamrock Live here, our, our debut sort of live room chat, um, we're going to try to do this every Friday at noon uh, during the football season, sort of see how that goes. Maybe we'll adjust the time forward and backward. Uh, if you have a question, you can hop in the queue. Um, it will pop up on my app, and then I'll call you to the stage where you can ask the question. It kind of has like a uh, a sane and logical sports radio vibe to it. Um, most of the time, I won't be jet-lagged or uh, – had a Guinness before doing this show, but it's a good time. Um, I hope that uh, we've got some more questions coming up. Um, I'm happy to get into whatever you guys want to get get into. This is a fun way to sort of interact with readers um, and sort of sort of get um, get a little bit more interaction. I think from the chat, we had a question from uh, Steve and O, and you want to know, Pete, what are your concerns you have about 
Jared Parker as a play caller. And I think it Parker's going to be very difficult to gauge this year because Sam Hartman is going to make him look good. I think Sam Hartman would make almost any offensive coordinator look good. I think that Tommy Reese would have universal approval rating if uh, Sam Hartman was his quarterback. So that's kind of a, a different vibe than, you know, what we've been used to where I think how often have you watched a Notre Dame game and thought, Notre Dame won the game because of its quarterback play. That has not happened a lot. I do think that's going to happen semi-regularly with Hartman this year. And I, I mean, I even put that in my last conversation with Tommy Reese over the summer. Um, I asked him that question. He's like, you know, you know, the North Carolina game in 2020 at Boston College in 2020, Ian Book played so well that you could point to him and say like, yeah, that that's a reason we won the game. Um, but that didn't happen a lot. So I think that's going to be a difference in Notre Dame this year. And I think that will help Jared Parker look good. I, I think from the ways to judge Jared Parker in year one, it's going to be how organized were you? Did you make third down a winning down? Were you efficient in the red zone when it comes to touchdown percentage, which the offense actually was last year, even with Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner quarterback. That's sort of how I I feel like you're going to judge Jared Parker. And then can you go into Ohio State, USC, and Clemson and and deal? Like not go into those games and feel like you're holding on for dear life. I mean, how, how many of you watched the Ohio State game last year and felt like, all right, Notre Dame's on a level playing field with the Buckeyes offensively in terms of talent. Like nobody felt that way. So that I think is where Jared Parker needs to take the offense. Sam Hartman will get him almost all the way there, even if the um, receiver position isn't as low as it, it needs to be long-term. So I think, you know, Jared Parker, he should have a good first year. I think judging him probably a year from now, what 2024 looks like, regardless of who this, the quarterback is, that's going to be, I think, a little bit more telling. And I, I guess that feeds into a question in the chat from Leo D. that says, why can't Sam Hartman be 2019 Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow th- threw 60 touchdown passes uh, in the season that he won the Heisman Trophy. Again, they played 15 games. But the big reason that Sam Hartman can't be 2019 Joe Burrow is because he doesn't have Jamar Chase to throw to. He doesn't have Jordan Jefferson to throw to. You know, Notre Dame's receiver position just isn't as stocked as what it needs to be to be at a national title winning level of talent. So that's a big thing to me that um, you got to you Notre Dame needed more at the receiver position, whether that's via Della Alexander before, which didn't happen in recruiting. Chancey Stuckey, I think, has done a good job upgrading the young talent in the room. I think Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores will have good freshman seasons, but uh, the lack of a baller or two on the outside that can just go up and make a play. Um, maybe that's Tobias Merriweather in spots this year. Maybe it's Jaden Greyhouse in spots this year, but it was Jamar Chase all year in 2019. And that's a huge difference from where Notre Dame was or where Notre Dame is now and where LSU was then. Again, if you've got a question for us, you can hop in, uh, you can put it in the queue. I can call you to the stage and you can ask it live. I'm also sort of monitoring the chat to see what's going on here. Uh, Scott B. asked, will you be able to listen to the live recording later? Yes. Um, so that's, we had some questions about the independent and the shamrock. It's very confusing. I get it. 
So the independent is completely separate from the athletic at this point. That's the podcast I'm doing with Matt Fortuna. However, these live rooms that we do every Friday at noon will pop up into the Shamrock podcast feed if you're still following it that way. So that's an easy way to sort of account for these. If you want to listen to them Friday night, Saturday morning, kind of preview the game a little bit, that's a, a good way to do it. Another question from the chat from Ryan F. says, great article this morning. Thanks. Appreciate it. That was a fun one put together on what Marcus Freeman has learned from Notre Dame's other head coaches and what those head coaches have learned from him. That's up on The Athletic. And he wants to know who gets their first collegiate touch this Saturday, the freshman running backs or the freshman wide receivers? I guess technically the only freshman running back is Jeremiah Love. To have a sense he will get a touch on Saturday, but it might be late in the game when Notre Dame's up big. Um, I think Jaden Greyhouse and Rico Flores will be in the game in the first quarter. Um, so I, I bet, would bet a sizable number, a sizable figure on Greyhouse and Flores being the first freshman to get touches over Love. And I guess if you want to throw, you know, Jabron Payne or Jadarian Price in there too, I would still bet on Flores and Greathouse. Um you know, uh, if you want to get a real wonky with that, you could say, you know, maybe Cooper Flanagan or would uh, recover an on, or uh, a fumbled kickoff of some sort because um, he's on the kickoff return team uh, coming into Saturday. But uh, I, I like Greyhouse and Flores. I think will be a little bit of exceptions to the freshman receiver rule, which I've probably talked about a lot and written about a lot. That freshman receivers can look good in camp. The season starts. And they're never to be heard from again until spring practice a year later. I think Great House in particular is going to be an exception of that, just of how he's put together physically, but also just sort of the way he fits at Notre Dame. We see kids all the time. They they come in and then school starts and they get overwhelmed. I think Great House has a chance to be a little bit of an exception on that. Let's see, we've got also in the chat from Sean G. Well, it was great to hear the defense has looked better than expected. Are you concerned that the defense could be significantly compromised at linebacker if Jack Kaiser or J.D. Bertrand were to go down? Yes, I would be concerned if Jack Kaiser or J.D. Bertrand went down. I think that Notre Dame could probably get away with losing one of them. And so you have uh, three linebackers for two spots among Bertrand, Kaiser, and Maris Leofau. I think where uh, if you lost two, though, you would be very compromised in the middle of the defense, and that that would be a real challenge. But I like what I've seen from the three old guys together. I think it's one of the reasons why Notre Dame should play well defensively, like not just well defensively against Navy tomorrow, but great at times because they have linebackers who know how to do their job 99 times out of 100. And once if you have superior athletes who also are well-coached and ready to do their job, those Navy teams have a hard time moving the ball against Notre Dame. Andrew S. asks, do you think Navy is a good or bad game to open the season from a prep standpoint? We asked Marcus Freeman about this during the week. He loved the idea of uh, playing Navy early. And it was interesting to sort of mine that with some of the players during the weekend interviews. I think it was DJ Brown, the six-year senior safety, who told me like that even in the player-run practices in the summer, that the players would get together and they would work on Navy stuff without the coaches present. So it was always sort of like a side burner issue. Whereas I think when you play them in November, 
you get into situations where, okay, you're playing USC, you're playing Clemson, you're playing Ohio State, and then it, it's very difficult to sort of downshift or side shift, if that's a word, away from pro-style offenses to get into the triple option. With the opener, you can get into it big early, and then after that, sort of go into your normal offense or your normal offensive prep if you're the defense. Um, I think that's a, that's a positive thing to start with Navy. Andrew W. asked, Pete, how does the Irish ability, in theory, to score more points affect the defense? Thinking of greater margin for error, more risk to take generating turnovers along that line. It's a, That's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it much in terms of maybe playing more boomer bust defense, especially when it comes to forcing turnovers. But if Notre Dame's going to be a 35 to 38 point a game offense and you believe your quarterback can throw you into a game or throw you back into a game, then yeah, I could see Al Golden being a little bit more aggressive, a little less conservative than what we've seen in the past where they have to be better in forcing turnovers than they were a year ago. And that was, that was a real struggle for them. It just, it just felt like they never got an identity in terms of forcing turnovers. And I think an NFL background from Golden would sort of inform this in particular that Turnovers are where games are won or lost. Notre Dame ended up finishing 98th nationally last year with just 15 turnovers forced. They had five fumbles recovered, which was 106. And you think about, especially now with the cornerback play, the where, where it is with Ben Morrison and Cam Hart, hopefully both healthy, you get into a point now where you should be able to take some chances, uh, maybe at some other positions, maybe with your blitz packages, because your cornerbacks are so good. It's probably not dissimilar from every other kind of opening week game where, you know, you get to a point where you're just ready to play. I don't I don't think that they were in a position earlier in camp where they, they just wanted to go um, and were ready, you know, a week into it. I think they needed some time to prep and develop, especially the interior of the defensive line, develop the receiver position. So overall, I think that the vibe is pretty upbeat because – I think Notre Dame has not projected this air of confidence, but I do think it's a very confident team. Um, I know the coaching staff is very confident in where um, this team can go, probably more so than they've let on publicly, but talking to people who are tight with the staff and just even talking to sources myself, um, I think they feel like this team could be really, really good. And that I think maybe will show tomorrow. All right. Next question in the chat, um, JHD, if you're back, hop in. Uh, hopefully we can get that audio question figured out. But Catherine B. wants to know, Pete, do you know how big the transition on special teams has been going from Brian Mason to Marty Biagi? The special teams play last season was majorly impactful. Do you think they can maintain that success with a new coach? I would be pretty surprised if they were able to maintain that with Biagi from Mason which says a lot more about Mason than it does about Biagi um, to block seven punts in one season, a program record like that's, that's an outlier type of production. And I think that even if Brian Mason was back, they would not match that. So, you know, where can special teams be better? The punt game with John shot with John Sott was good. I think that it can be good with Bryce McPherson as the new punter. Um, I think Spencer Schrader, can be an upgraded kicker from where they were a year ago. Watching him in camp, I've been impressed about just how smooth and confident he is. But it's like 
nobody remembers your field goal kicker as an identity point of your special teams play. It's like, it's the blocks, it's the returns for touchdowns. Chris Tyree is the lead punt returner based on what Chris Tyree told us just yesterday at Aviva Stadium at his press conference. Is he the next Rocket Ishmael? I don't think so. But, you know, can Notre Dame break off a long return in a big moment? Because it's, I don't think we would think backly, think back on Chris Tyree's kickoff return touchdown as fondly against Wisconsin if he did it against UNLV, right? So that's, that's to me, can special teams come up in a big spot and can they sort of do no harm the rest of the season? It was funny when Chris Tyree got up as presser yesterday and talked about how he's changing his number to four. And somebody asked, you know, is that any special significance to you? And it's like, actually, it's because we realized that we had two number twos on the punt return team and you can't have that, which like, if you follow Notre Dame in 2012, you know, that was a big storyline, uh, duplicate number twos on special teams and they got away with it against Pittsburgh. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely made me think like, who knows, maybe, uh, Maybe it's meant in the stars for Notre Dame a special season if they're already talking about duplicate numbers and they're playing in Ireland. We got a question from Scott B coming up. Scott B, I'm going to call you to the stage here. You join the stage. So hopefully, Scott B, you can hear me. I can hear you. And go ahead and uh, ask your question. How early do you think Steve Angeli is going to get into the game this Saturday? And if we'll learn much, if he's going to be allowed to run their offense um, rather than just, you know, hand the ball off? I think that's a great question. I've done some other events where Notre Dame fans have asked, like, you know, which freshmen or, or underclassmen are going to get into the game first. And for me, like, I realize the running backs are probably more exciting to uh, Notre Dame fans at this point, or the receivers are more exciting. But um, to me, it's like Steve Angeli, they have to get moving on his development, if not for the sake of him for the sake of the program next year, because you can't, if you end the season or you get into November and you're not sure, okay, can Steve Angeli play for us? Can Steve Angeli be the starting quarterback at Notre Dame? If you don't know that, then you sort of have to go out and, and find the next Sam Hartman. And you can't just end the season and then decide that. Like the Sam Hartman decision was a decision Notre Dame had to make in November and then work through December and, and close the deal in January. I hope that Steve Angeli gets in the game end of the third quarter. I would be really surprised if they didn't let him run the offense. I actually asked Gino Gaduli, the quarterback's coach, about that. Not specifically in terms of, hey, when in the Navy game does Angeli get in and what is he going to do? But he said, like, we got to let Steve go out and run the offense. Because if we don't, then we're not really getting a look at him and then if we don't get a look at him, we don't know what we have for 2024 because some quarterback is going to make his first start at Notre Dame at Texas A&M in 2024. If it's Steve Angeli, that's fine. But you got to figure out a way to know what you have there before uh, you put Angeli into that kind of mix. All right. Next question is going to be from Jonathan M. Jonathan M., I'm calling you to the stage right now. Hopefully you pop up here. Jonathan M., can, can you hear me? Awesome. Thanks, Pete. So my question is surrounding what Marcus Freeman's preparation has been like going into a game that involves this much travel. I know you talked in the offseason and during camp about how his mindset has changed going into year two, the difference in being a year one coach. And with, with the game involving this many logistical issues, 
and going into game prep overseas in a different environment? What's that been like for him and the team? It's an interesting question because I, I think Marcus is a pretty thoughtful guy. You probably picked that up if you watch his press conferences or, or read our coverage of him at The Athletic. And, you know, they, they flew over overnight on Wednesday and I actually ran into on my flight from Chicago. There were a couple uh, player parents and one of them who travels a lot for work was like, yeah, I'm kind of surprised they're doing the overnight flight just based on how at, at the end of it. And I think pretty much anyone in Dublin can tell you that they're having a good time, but they're not entirely sure what day it is because of just it's, you know, you, you travel over here. You're not really sure what's going on. You get to a, a spot where it just takes some adjusting. I think that they will be fine on Saturday getting here a day early, but there's no doubt it takes a day to adjust. And, you know, if you look at Notre Dame's schedule, originally they were supposed to have a bye week after this game. They were going to have a bye in week one. They ended up adding, adding Tennessee State, which is another conversation for maybe a different live room. But to play anybody in week one, uh, which is Notre Dame's second game, was was going to be tricky. It's an FCS school, so they should be fine even if they come out and have a, a D-plus performance. How they come back, they're staying over on Saturday night after the game, opposed to flying straight back. So that means they'll probably get back. They they leave Sunday morning around eight. They probably get back to South Bend, you know, mid afternoon or so because they are fortunate enough to be able to have a chartered direct flight from Dublin to SBN, which I am not as fortunate enough to be on. But um, it's how they recover from this game will be interesting. And then, like maybe you're asking a little bit about bigger picture recovery. It's something that I'd like to write on at the Athletic moving forward because, man. You can't go to Notre Dame's practices in training camp and not think, are there fewer guys injured? Are there fewer guys sort of in the pit, which is their recovery zone, than there have been before? And, I mean, for the most part, there were three, four guys in there all year uh, or all month of August, and that's that's pretty rare. So I think that Marcus Freeman has done a good job, and I asked him about this, of like leaning into more of the sports science, the recovery of training and work. And, you know, we'll see at the end of the year, did Notre Dame wear down in November because they weren't, didn't go hard enough in August? I don't know the answer to that. Or are they fresher in November because they were fresher on August 26th when the season kicked off? So that's, that's going to be an interesting story to follow the rest of the way. But Marcus Freeman feels like they're sort of working hard, but like working smarter as well. Um, You know, what that means for the rest of the season. I think we sort of have to like let the season play out to know whether that worked or it didn't. Again, if, if you've got a question, um, you can hop in the queue. You can ask it from an audio point of view, or you can post it in the chat as well. But it's more fun to like actually kind of go back and forth with you guys from an audio point of view. Yeah, JHD, I, I did not get your question, uh, but you posted in the chat. Hopefully you got my question, my mic cut off, so I wasn't sure. I didn't hear a response unless special teams was the answer. I don't know if you – the question was sort of about – what might be the surprise of the season or the biggest concern? Um, JHG is probably going to have to put that back in the chat, but um, it uh, I I do think that uh, special teams. Well, yeah, what area does Notre Dame need to do well in this weekend in order to have a successful season? I am sort of like reluctant to read too much into the the opener because it's Navy because it's Ireland than I would be maybe otherwise. I feel like. Notre Dame season where the rubber hits the road is going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina in the third game. It's a noon start. That to me is going to be the game where I walk out of that stadium and think, 
can or can or can Notre Dame not beat Ohio State two weeks later? I'm not sure if there's anything I'm going to see tomorrow, good, maybe bad, but good enough that's going to lead me to like, oh, Notre Dame is going to knock out Ohio State, or or like, man, they just don't have the horses to do it because Navy is such a unique animal. But you know, special teams would would be a nice place to be if you're Notre Dame. You to get your kicking and punting game in order to have look like you're have some smart return game options. I think that would be something that would be helpful. If Tobias Merriweather could go up and make a contested 50-50 jump ball tomorrow, that would be good. That might give me a little bit of confidence. But I think the offensive line with two new starters at guards might need a moment to gel. I think Sam Hartman might need a moment to gel. I think he'll play well, but I'm preemptively trying not to overreact to anything I see against Navy uh, in week one, in part because it's week one, but doubly because it's also Navy. All right, we've got a question from Chris S. Chris S., if you're uh, ready to go, I'm going to call you to the stage here, and you can go ahead and ask your question. I don't know if it called you up yet or not. All right, we'll try AJM. AJM, I'm going to call you to the stage right now. AJM, I think you are live here with us on the uh, the new rebooted Shamrock. My question is, do you think we'll see more of kind of the younger, deeper linebackers like Sneed and Bowen tomorrow? Um, as opposed to like kind of a normal game, because I, I feel like we saw a lot more of them in the last Navy game. And I'm really interested to see, you know, what they can do. I think that we will see a lot of Jalen Sneed tomorrow. I don't know how much Drake Bowen we're going to see. But I think it would benefit Notre Dame if you can give some of those younger linebackers a taste of what Navy is like, because a year from now, they're going to have to take all the snaps. So I think in Jalen Sneed's role on this season, he is such a wild card player for Notre Dame you watch him in training camp and he would blow up plays and make these huge hits. And then also he would get caught out of position and have a coverage bust, but he's so athletic. It's like, you got to do something with him this season. I don't know if that's going to show against Navy might not show against Tennessee state, but you know, around the time of North Carolina state, certainly Ohio state and everything that comes after you got to figure out a way to take advantage of Jalen seed. Like Drake Bowen is a different animal. Because he's backing up J.D. Bertrand. He's a true Mike linebacker. You know, in recruiting, I think Notre Dame saw him as a more athletic Bertrand. That may be true, but Bertrand is just such a high football IQ football player. And that to just assume Drake Bowen's going to pick up schemes the way that Bertrand did is, is asking a lot. So I want to see both those guys get in on Saturday. If for nothing else, then to just get more of a full-on taste of Navy, even though Snead played a little bit last year. And then take it from there. But um, the Notre Dame's linebacker position, they will take a step back in experience next year for sure. However, I think with Bowen, Sneed, Jaden Osbury on the outside, Nolan Ziegler, if he can sort of rejoin the team after a personal issue during camp, and then, you know, Kingston, Villalama, Asa next year, they will have, they all have a nice sort of, stable of guys to develop. None of them will be as experienced as what they have this year. It's it's a really rare situation that way, but um, they will have a chance to be good down the road, you know, regardless of who the defense coordinator, who the linebackers coach is long-term. Hopefully we can get Chris S to the stage here to ask his question. Chris S, I just saw you popped up. Uh, maybe this is a little more big picture than the day before a game, but with Stanford likely joining the uh, ACC, 
and that assuming counting for one of Notre Dame's ACC games. Um, where do you see Notre Dame with going with that uh, with that slot in the schedule? Is there room for a big time opponent with the consolidation of conferences, or would that go to more towards a guaranteed win? You know, it's a good question. I th- I think that Stanford joining the ACC is sort if that happens is like sneaky beneficial for Notre Dame based on you know maybe you can get to a point where you go to the ACC and say and say hey we want to play Stanford every year but we need to count that as an ACC game essentially frees up a slot in the schedule from the ACC point of view. And I, if I was Pete Bavacqua, I would look at more of a, a big-time home-and-home opponent than I would a guaranteed game or a, a bye game. Because with the college football playoff expanding just next year, we're going to have to recalibrate like what a hard schedule is, what that means for Notre Dame, what that means for everybody else. Because I think you're better off sort of taking a big swing at I'm not saying you need to play Alabama or Georgia and they do have Alabama coming on the schedule, but you know, kind of a, you know, an Iowa, you know, maybe a Tennessee, maybe, you know, you can get a, an Oklahoma a little bit more regularly. Maybe you could go with Washington, you know, a, a really good team that could beat you, but also a really good team that you're more likely to beat and you get a lot of credit for beating. I, d- I just don't think that the utility in, Going twelve and zero or eleven one is going to be nearly as high a year from now as it is going into this season when the playoffs at four. Um, and I think teams are going to sort of schedule accordingly. I hope moving forward, you know, account for you want to sell tickets, you want to drive ratings. That's where you sort of make your money, and it, and losing a game won't be as punitive a year from now as it is today. All right, but our next question from Jonah P. Uh, Jonah P. I'm going to call you to the stage here. You are on this edition of the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. So another kind of big picture question here. If I remember correctly, our defensive red zone efficiency last season was pretty terrible. Yeah, so, atrocious, is, I think is the word you're part. Yeah. So do you know if anything, if Coach Golden or Freeman have taken any steps to address that specifically? Or is the view more like there's probably a lot of randomness in that and it should just revert to the mean? I think there is some randomness in it. I don't think that Notre Dame is necessarily going to be an amazing red do- red zone defense. They should have been a heck of a lot better than they were last year when they were dead last in the country, I think, in touchdown percentage. It was just automatic every time they got down there. And especially, like, you have veteran corners, decent safeties, really good linebackers. The defensive line is not going to be as good as in terms of a pass rushing outfit this year, but I do think it can be better against the run when you look at the players they can throw out there. I know Howard Cross is, I think, relatively undersized for that position, but Riley Mills, Gabriel Rubio, Jason Anye, like those are big dudes that really shouldn't get pushed around. And I think last year with the Adam Alola brothers, um, you know, they were they were not big dudes, uh, and they could get pushed around a little bit. So I think the red zone defense will be better this year. It just never made any sense to me why they could have a very good red zone defense in terms of preventing teams from getting to the red zone, but then it totally collapsed when they got there. So it's kind of like turnovers a little bit. If you led the nation in takeaways or you were dead last in takeaways, it's going to be better for you if you're at the bottom. It's going to be worse for you at the top, probably by a lot. If Notre Dame finished the season 61st in red zone presented, prevented, percentage defense, in terms of touchdowns, I think that would be good. I don't think they need to be great or have any wizard blitz calls under Al Golden. They just need to do a better job, a lot better job than they did last year. I think that's that's totally reasonable. 
All right, next up, we've got Sarah G. Sarah G., I'm going to call you to the stage here, and then you can go ahead and ask your question as soon as you pop up. All right, Sarah, I see you. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. I'm on here. This is exciting. I wanted to make sure a lady's voice popped up on this. So I'm excited. We appreciate it. (laughs) All right, cool. Pete, big fan. I have, like, multiple questions. Um, One would be, is Ireland worth it? Like from recruiting standpoint and just like you're there having fun at the Guinness factory. Is it worth it? Yes. I would say yes. I am completely aware that this is a business expense for me and not a personal expense. So maybe I would feel differently. But one thing that has really struck me being here in Dublin for the last 36 hours or so is how like not just welcoming people are here, but they are very grateful that. Notre Dame fans and Navy fans, I mean, mostly Notre Dame fans are here to like infuse the economy with hotels and restaurants and bars and all of that. I like it a lot. I think it would be good to sort of spread the wealth around a little bit in terms of other foreign tours to take. But in terms of Dublin and putting on a good show logistically, like it's been very impressive and you don't go anywhere. When somebody asks you what what brings you to Dublin and you say the game, they say, we're so happy you're here. We're so grateful you're here. Um, it really sort of resonates that way. So it's, um, I think from a recruiting point of view, I don't know if like a kid's going to come to Notre Dame to play one game in four years in a foreign country. I, I would doubt it. But I think from the university at large in sort of like one of the things Notre Dame does well and leans into a lot is like they do interesting stuff because they can. And I think that this this game over here in Dublin is like, it's sort of Notre Dame sort of flexing a little bit and doing something uniquely Notre Dame. I know there have been other games here. Like hopefully this game will be more memorable than Northwestern uh, Nebraska last year, but um, just that very cordial, very welcoming environment. And I think it's like, it's a chance for the university to sort of flex a little bit from a fundraising uh, and uniqueness point of view. What's uh, what's your next question? The other question, and I just got like more questions from you talking. I know on Irish Illustrated, you said Rome is next frontier. I hope Rome is the next place Notre Dame goes. But um, my other question was, I loved your article today. How can we not love Marcus Freeman? He just seems like the best person. But then my question would be like, is he more like Jerry Faust in a sense Mm -hmm. of like, he just loves university. I mean, but he didn't come from like a place of like loving Notre Dame all his life. But that's why I worry about like, is he more Jerry? Is he more Lou? Or maybe, obviously, he could just be his own self. But that's my other question. If you just want to talk about that article. And thanks yeah, again for taking my questions. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate you. It's an interesting question because I think that um, if you haven't checked out the story on The Athletic today, I had been sort of interested in, man, Marcus Freeman is at a lot of other Notre Dame games. You know, he's at hitting home runs in a softball home run derby. He's sitting behind the bench at lacrosse. He's at women's basketball. He's at men's basketball. He really gets out and sort of pounds the pavement for these other sports. And the reason I want to do the story was just like, kind of like almost like a super fan story about like, why, you know, why are you out here doing this? And I thought the answer was just because I love sports and I love Notre Dame. And like that you can see that Marcus Freeman, but as I, but I talked to these other coaches, but Kevin Corrigan, Jeff Jackson, uh, Salima Rockwell, Neil Ivey, I found that like he is trying to learn from these other coaches and that at the same time, those coaches are learning from him, which I didn't really think about in terms of 
how Kevin Corrigan, who won a national championship last year, has been to six Final Fours, or how Jeff Jackson, who's, I think, been to five Frozen Fours and won two national titles, like, what would they learn from Freeman? And they both said that they pick up sort of, you know, the interpersonal relationships for Marcus, you know, where he sort of pushes the envelope forward about, you know, being being a little bit more modern. Uh, that was interesting. Certainly, Marcus's relationship with Neil Ivey is unique. You know, two marquee sports at Notre Dame where a first-time head coach is replacing an icon. You know, Muffet McGraw won national championships at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly did not. But you're still replacing the all-time wins leader in that sport. You know, what that has been like for both of them. You know, why they get along so well. So, you know, is, is Marcus Freeman going to be more Jerry Faust than Lou Holtz? I I don't know. He, he definitely is an easy guy to root for. And I say that not just from the fan point of view for, you know, people on this in this room, but I mean also from the, the point of view of these coaches. And I think these coaches, especially Jeff Jackson and Kevin Corrigan, who have been around forever, they can spot a head coach who doesn't know what the heck they're doing. And they both were very high on Marcus Freeman sort of learning as you go, you know, giving him the space and the breathing room to make mistakes and push forward. Certainly from my point of view as a reporter, I hope these a lot more Lou Holtz because I enjoy covering the college football playoff and would love to keep doing that. And I think that Marcus Freeman has a natural curiosity about him and a humility about him that he knows he doesn't have all the answers. Whereas I think Jerry Faust in some ways really felt like if you just believed enough, you would win. Like that doesn't, that's not how it works. Marcus Freeman knows that's not how it works. There's still ground to cover before you get to Lou Holtz. You have all these great players running around in these in all these positions. That's uh, that's a different place to be. Let's see if any other questions in the uh, in the chat here to answer. Um, Andrew W want to know, Pete, do we get a post game Shamrock Live or is that going to be on the Independent? Depending on the game, these are great therapy sessions, celebrations. I'll be doing the Independent with Matt Fortuna post game, same as our old podcast, the Shamrock before. This sort of this live room. We're going to do this every week on Friday afternoon, sort of set the table for the weekend. It's a good way to interact with athletic subscribers. So those will be two separate things, but post-game will just be the independent. You can follow that. I'll tweet about that show once it posts. It's on Apple. It's not on Google yet. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify, some other podcast places too. So we got uh, a question next up from Dan S. Dan S., I'm going to call you to the stage. Uh, you can go ahead and ask your question. Dan, I see you on there, so go away. We explained to the avalanche of Irish haters on the athletic why Notre Dame isn't overrated and irrelevant <laughs> and lastly greedy. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you got it, Dan. You know, why they're not overrated? Well, they're at 13th. I feel like that's a good sp- starting point for the season. You know, they're also not overrated because they seem to be central to every college football conversation that's happening. Somebody asked earlier about, like, I think it was Sarah asked about the Navy game in Ireland. Is it worth it? And like this whole operation over here is a chance for Notre Dame to sort of flex as a university and athletic department. They're the story of week zero college football. They'll be the story of week four college football when Ohio State comes to Notre Dame. There's a reason 10 million people watched the Notre Dame Ohio State game last year. There's a reason why the ACC's championship game drew 10 million viewers for Notre Dame Clemson part two and usually averages around 3 million when Notre Dame is not involved. So the money, the ratings, the attendance, 
all of that sort of backs up the sort of fact that Notre Dame is quite relevant. I think people probably in this live room, I'm preaching to the choir on that a little bit. It's a good spot for Notre Dame because people watch. They're important. They're part. Of, they're a big part of the the conversation in college football. I think that I realize Notre Dame fans maybe not be in love with Brian Kelly, but I do think the way he sort of got the program over the course of 12 years to be consistently a winner where we just assume Nerdham is going to win 10 games. Now that's not how it was when he took the job and he did a really, really nice job of setting a foundation that now Marcus Freeman is a position to build on. All right, next question. We're going to, to Brady F. I think we're going to have that be the last question of the, this hour long uh, Shamrock live Brady F. If you're there, I'm going to call you to the stage now. Hopefully you're still with us. All right, man. So, hey, I, you know, I've been to Dublin. I've spent a lot of time there. The Irish people are great, wonderful people. Any concern with, with the players after the game going out on the piss and getting bollocks and, uh, you know, perhaps getting in a little bit of trouble? Great vocabulary, Brady. I appreciate it. You've got, you definitely have uh, been in Dublin before. I would be very surprised if that happened because they would have to work hard to do it. Um, they're not staying in the Temple Bar area, sort of where I am, where those options are aplenty. I believe they're staying north of the airport, if I'm not mistaken. And I would think that they would be getting out of here very early tomorrow. So the game kicks off at 7.30 or 7 local time here. You're finishing 11, 11.30 hours. Navy, it might even be earlier than that. You know, you're out of the stadium an hour after that, and you're straight back to the hotel. I think they will sort of keep the players there, feed them, you know, entertain them in some way. You know, whether they have a party or some kind of thing, it would be pretty low key. And they'll be out of here very early next morning so they can be back in South Bend mid afternoon. You know, kind of an oh, by the way thing, but classes started last week. So they've missed uh, a decent amount of that to start the semester. A lot to catch up on that way. I don't think there's any concern. It's, it's not going to be like after a bowl game where the players do go out, even though there is a party at the hotel, because they can, because there's nothing else going on um, with a, the season, you know, really kicking off, and it's not like their first bye week is right around the corner. It's more than a month away. They will have played Ohio State and USC by the time that hits. It's weird to think that the season will be half over when October 1st hits, but it's a weird calendar year, and I think that the players recognize, like, you put in all this work for the all-off season, if you want to work so hard to, to – Take a step back after week one or week zero, I'd, I'd be pretty shocked. And it'd be a, a pretty rough flight back to the States if you did that. I don't think Marcus Freeman looked too kindly on that. So we'll wrap up on that question. I appreciate you guys hopping on for the soft opening of the Shamrock Live. We'll do it every Friday at noon during the course of the football season. I didn't share this on Twitter to you know get the word out at all because I just wanted to see how it would go where it's just me and you guys and i appreciate all the questions both in the chat and in the queue uh we can get a lot more of them next week and the weeks to come so until we we talk again next friday enjoy the game tomorrow night whether you're over here in dublin or watching it back in the states it's been fun to do this this first episode of the shamrock live and we will chat with you next week talking a little bit about what we all saw saturday and looking ahead to tennessee state week one back at south bend thanks for being with us 